0: So, one of the hardest things I think about being a Christian is recognizing the fact that Jesus does call us to do things that when we really try to do them, we just can't do them. We, we, we find ourselves being weak. The, the, the commands He gives us, the, the direction He gives us to, to follow Him in faith, those commands are harder than we, they're more than we can do. In fact, Jesus himself said, didn't he, in John chapter 15, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. You can do nothing. And this is difficult for us. It's not flattering to realize that you can't do something. About 16, 17 years ago, no, 15, 16 years ago, I was snowboarding. I went to speak at this youth camp and And I'd never snowboarded before, but I did some surfing, and the guys kidded me up and said, you'll be fine, and taught me a couple things in about five minutes. And I got on the slopes, and I snowboarded. And it wasn't flashy. It wasn't even attractive, to be honest. But I was doing it. You know, I wasn't falling. I was doing it, having a great time snowboarding. So this last week, when I'm in Germany speaking at this Oak Hall retreat, uh, they say, do you want to ski or snowboard? And I think, I want to snowboard. Yes, I'm pushing 50, but I still want to snowboard. And so I strap on the snowboard, I, I do a, a, about another five-minute lesson, and I go to the top with some 19-year-old lads and attempt to make my way down. And I, I actually made it all the way down. I did okay. Went up again, did it again. I thought, I got this. It's all coming back to me. I can do this. Then I went down again, and I did what was called a rail. And what that means is when you're shifting from your toe edge to your heel edge, sometimes if you don't, if you... Sh- put your edge down before you turn, you go slam. And so I have a bruise on a certain part of my anatomy that will remain remain nameless that makes it difficult for me to sit right now. (laughs) And I have a new dose of humility that I need to stop grasping at youth and admit that I'm middle aged and I can't really snowboard anymore. But it is funny how we, we really want to believe we can do more we can. And so what we tend to do is we tend to lessen the requirements that God puts on us. We tend to water down the commands that Jesus puts on our life. And so we pray for things that are safe. We pray for things that we can do ourselves. You ever fall into that? All right, God, help me to have a good day at work today. I just want to work well and, you know, I want to have a nice attitude, so help me to do that. That's not a bad thing to pray. But you know why we pray that? We pray that because we feel good. Look at me, I'm, I'm spiritual, I prayed. And then, you know, when it comes to pass, I can go, okay, I'll give glory to God. I, I asked for this and it happened. Now, we should be praying for those kinds of things. We should ask God for help with everyday things because we don't want to just get everything, everyday things done. We want to do them as unto Jesus. We want to do them to bring glory to His name. We want to do them in a way that people see something different in us. So we should be praying to God that way. But God calls us to something bigger. He calls us to a life, Jesus calls us to a life that requires His power. And that's exactly what Paul's praying for with the Ephesians here in Ephesians 3. He's praying for God's Power. If you have the New International Version, it's even more clear in that version. He uses the word power three times in all three sections that we're going to look at. He uses the word power, speaking of God's power. And I think this is important because I think so many of us are settling for a, a life that isn't the life that Jesus called us to. We don't really look much different than someone who's not a Christian. Jesus doesn't call us to be nice people, but new people. He wants to do something in our life. Now, how do we do this? What what does it look like to pray to experience God's power in our life? Because that's what he wants. God wants us to learn to pray like Paul prayed for the Ephesians, that we would pray to experience God's power in our life. What does that look like? How do we pray? What are we actually asking for? That's what we're going to look at today. So I'm going to give you three basic things. If you have that little A5 handout, the notes are there. If not, just pay attention, write these down. The first thing we're doing is we're praying for power for inward change. We need to be changed from the inside out. We're praying for that. Paul starts off the section by this. He says, listen, he says, for this reason, referring to this great mystery that we've been talking about for the last several weeks of the fact that Jews and Gentiles are now one in Christ. There's one family that God's done, uh, uh, brought together through the gospel. He says, for this reason, notice, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. I bow my knees. Now, the Scripture gives lots of different examples of kind of bodily positions in prayer. Uh, Paul talks about, to Timothy, that people should, uh, ra- men should uh, always lead in prayer, raising their hands uh, without wrath or doubting. So the st- uh, position of standing with hands raised is a biblical uh, position of prayer. Kneeling, as we see right here, is a, is a, a biblical position of prayer. There's a, 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 a prayer of, of to prostrate yourself, a position to be prostrate, which would mean you kneel and actually put your head to the ground, sort of like the way Muslims position themselves, okay? These are all different bodily positions for prayer. None is necessarily more spiritual than the other, but when we see these things named, we should think, okay, why? What's significant about the position, and so here, when we see Paul say, for this reason, I kneel, Paul's talking about not just a position of his body, but an attitude of his heart. That he is, he is kneeling in a childlike dependency to his father. He's recognizing, okay, God is our father. He's the father of, of all who have faith in Jesus, whether Jew or Gentile. And if we're going to experience the power for inward change, we have to bow the knee. You can't just throw up a popcorn prayer and think something's going to change. Let's be willing to humble ourselves and, and and before God. This is something that I, I think is very difficult for us, because when we begin to pray, and I think you guys, if, if if you're like me, I'll be honest, it's hard to pray. I struggle to get into prayer. I find that if I can I can read God's word and I can pray it back to Him, and that's pretty easy for me to do, and I enjoy fellowship with God. But to really kind of just wait on God in prayer, and to to think about who it is I'm actually speaking to, and to humble myself before this great and awesome creator God who's actually adopted me into my family, and see Him as a good Father I can trust, that doesn't come natural. It's not an easy thing. But it's where, listen, it's where power in prayer begins when we humble ourselves. We kneel before Him. I think one of the things that we we need to do is we need to understand, because the context of this, of course, is praying for inward change, that we are needing to pursue a change in our lives that we can't produce ourselves. God needs to change us from the inside out. This is why I I, I grieve when I hear people being so dishonest in their prayers. We We are such liars in our prayers. God, I love you so much. You're wonderful. I just want to worship you and live for you my whole life. I just want my whole life to be yours. And inside we're thinking, okay, have I prayed long enough so I can go off and do what I want to do? Instead of just being real with the God that we know knows all things and saying, God, my heart is hard. Often I don't want to love you or I I want to love you, but I I want to love this thing as well. I want to follow you, but I also want to do my own thing. Lord, I'm double-minded and I have this, this... This stuff in me that's not good. And going before Him as a child before the Father and just say, Father, I can't do it. I can't do it. You know, it's funny because the shame that we feel in our inability to do something is really a pride. It's it's, it's us not wanting to admit that we just simply can't do what God wants us to do unless He gives us the power to do so. This is why, listen, this is why He calls us to pray. No prayer, no power. We have to get on our face before God and say, Father, I I can't do this, but I believe that you're a good father and you can can produce in me a change. You can change my heart. And the good news is, it's a real positive change. Look at verse 16. In verse 16, Paul says, that he, that's God, would grant you, notice, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with mights, through His Spirit in the inner man. Now, it's important we recognize what he's talking about here. He is talking about this inward change. And listen, it's an inward change that is provided for by God's resources. So, so I've I mentioned this lots of times because I'm learning so much about humility and, and spiritual things doing this again. Pip and I work out a couple times a week. Pip's like way stronger than me. But the thing is, if I'm ever going to get stronger, we have to do these things called negatives. And what they are is basically that there's weight either on my back or uh, over my chest, depending on what lift we're doing, that's more weight than I can lift. And what has to happen is I have to trust that I have to lower that as as, as slow as I can, go as slow as I can, just kind of keeping the weight from crushing my sternum, right? And I have to trust that Pip will kind of help lift it off my chest. Now, one of these days, he's going to leave it there just to be funny. I know he is. But usually, he lifts it off my chest. And you know what we do Well, we're doing that? Because the only way I'm going to get stronger is to attempt to hold weight I can't hold. And I can only do that if I can trust that he will hold it for me. He will pull it up for me. Now, this is talking about not an outward change, but an inward change where God calls us to do things that we can't do for ourselves because he has all the resources we need to get those things done, to accomplish those things. Paul says it slightly different. He makes the same point, but in a slightly different way in 2 Corinthians 4.16. Listen to this. Paul says, Therefore, we do not lose hearts, even though the outward man is perishing. Old dude cannot snowboard anymore. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. God is changing us from the inside as we walk in obedience by His power, by His strength to do what we can't do for ourselves. But notice also what he says in verse 17, what he's praying here. Paul prays in verse 17, listen, he, here's what God wants to do is, as by His Holy Spirit He changes our inner man. Listen, he says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, if you've been at church for a while, you might be thinking, okay, I thought Jesus was already in my heart. I asked Jesus into my heart when I was seven or seven. I asked Jesus in my heart when I was 19 or whatever the case might be. The, the idea here is not that you're, you're starting a new thing, though if you've never put your faith in Jesus before, if you've never chosen to believe what God says about his son, what Jesus has said about himself and what he's done for you through his death and resurrection, there's a first time to this. And today can be that first time. But if you've received what Christ has done for you, Christ does dwell in you by his Holy Spirit. So what does he mean here by that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith? Well, the word for dwell literally means to make your home in. It's this idea that God himself, God the Son, would be at home in your heart. Now, let's be honest about our hearts, about our inward lives. If we compare our hearts or our inward lives to a house, it's a bit of a fixer-upper, isn't it? <laughs> There's all kinds of rubbish on the wall. you got that nasty kind of foil wallpaper and, you know, red shag carpet and all kinds of nasty looking stuff. And it's just, you know, there's, it's, it's dirty and it's filthy. And yet what happens is Jesus moves in there, and what does He do? He begins to cleanse us. He cleans us out by the inside out. He changes us through His, really, His abiding presence. I think sometimes we have this mindset that Jesus is on the outside. God's on the outside of us. And he's kind of saying, would you clean up your life? I'd like to hang out with you, but you're so dirty. You know, you you keep getting it wrong. So I can't really hang out with you because you keep getting it wrong. And we think of God this way. But actually, you know what the gospel says? The gospel says that God says, look, I've come to you in your filth. And I'm offering you a relationship where I will dwell in you and change you. I will cleanse you from the inside out. He'll commit to us. Now, Jesus kind of hinted at this in John chapter 14. Listen, Jesus answered and he said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and and make our home with him. Now, this is important for us to understand. Jesus is not saying that we're going to earn his presence by our obedience. He's not saying that. It's definitely not what the the apostles believed he taught because they taught something different than that what jesus is teaching here is listen he says if you believe i love you you're going to love me and that love's going to show itself in obedience and it's going to be in, in through that obedience that i cleanse you i change you we're not obeying listen we're not obeying to earn something from god we're obeying to apply something from god that he's given to us you guys ever seen Karate Kid, the old movie from the 80s or 90s, Karate Kid, you remember? Wax on, wax off. You guys remember that? Oh, wait, that was Pay the Fence. You guys remember that movie? No one saw Karate Kid? Are you serious? Who saw Karate Kid? Come on. Yes, all right. Help me out here. You know, wax on, wax off, right? And what's he doing? Miyagi-san. Why is he making him do that? Because he needs to build some muscles, man. Ralph Mountschild, after a scale little dude. I don't think he's going to beat anybody up. And basically, he had to wax on, wax off, and he's building shoulder muscles. He's learning to block punches and all these different things that he's doing, right? He was not earning the right to fight. He was not earning anything from Miyagi-san. He was learning what to, to be... He was being prepared for what he was meant to do. This is what God's doing with us. He's changing us from the inside out. Listen, Paul's saying this is what we need to pray towards. We need to pray for God's power, that this would happen. God, do this in me. Change me. Help me to obey even when I don't want to obey. Help me to want to obey. Change my appetites. Change my desires. God, you can do this. I believe you're in me and you want to do this. I trust you to do this in me. So Paul's praying for the power for inward change, but also, listen, he's praying for the power to experience, think about this clearly, experience God's love. Now it says again in verse 17, second part of verse 17, it says that that Christ may do in your hearts through faith. Notice that you, being rooted, past tense, and grounded, past tense, in love. What's he talking about there? He's talking about this reality that God is the one who defines what love is, and God's the one who initiates a love relationship with us. In fact, right according to Ephesians chapter 1, listen to this, Ephesians 1, 4, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. When you didn't give a second thought to God, God loved you. Think about that. God's the one who's initiated this love relationship. This is important because this is where it begins. If we're going to experience God's love, we have to actually believe that it's there. If we're going to experience, we have to believe that He actually does love us. But Paul's not talking about, listen, he's not praying for us just to have an intellectual understanding about God's love. He's talking about us actually experiencing God's love. Look at verse 18. He says that you may be able to comprehend. That's a really bad translation, comprehend. It, because it gives this idea that we're just thinking about it, but actually the world is that the word is actually that you would have the power, is what really is there. That you would be able with power to know all the with all the saints. What is the width, length, depth, and height? Speaking of God's love. In other words, what Paul's talking about is is once we have an understanding. Okay, I believe God. You first love me. I have to believe you first love me. Then God is God calls us to pray towards. Paul is praying towards these Ephesian believers to actually experience that love. This is important. In fact, uh, some of the commentators, the Bible commentators, the Bible scholars that I read, are from, from the stream that would say, let's not ever look into our feelings or our experience. Uh, we're not sure if the Holy Spirit does this stuff in the Bible anymore. Some of those guys I looked at, just to see if they would try to explain away the fact that this is an experience. You know what? Even those guys admit this is about experience. This is about us not just kind of making an intellectual assent to this idea that God might love us. This is us knowing that we're loved. It's the difference between getting a love letter from, for the first time from a girl that you've known or a guy that you've known and them saying, I do at the altar, committed to love you. God wants us to experience His love. In fact, he says clearly, we'll see in a minute, that it goes beyond our comprehension in verse 19. Doesn't he say that really clearly, right? It's a love that's beyond our comprehension. So let's talk about this really quickly. When he says wide, the, the width of God's love, what does he mean? Think of this way. Think of wide like a river. How do we measure the width of a river? We measure it by how much land it covers up, right? How, how much land is it covered up? How wide is God's love for you? Wide enough to cover any sin you've ever done. Any sin. Sin of action. Sin of thought. Sin of motive. It's wide enough to cover that. How long is God's love? It's long enough to endure for eternity. Sometimes I, I, I think, you know what? God's going to just give up on me. You ever had that feeling? I've, I've thought that before. I've been a Christian for 30 years and I thought I'd be a lot more mature than I am now. Sometimes I think God would just, is going to say, okay, that's it, I'm sick of it, John. You're out of here. But you know what? That's not how his love works. His love endures. Endures to bring me all the way into eternity. There's never going to be a point in heaven where God's goes, how did he get in here? Get him out, you know? That's never going to happen because his love endures eternally. It's that long. How high is it? it's high enough to position us in Christ, when our faith is in Christ, to position us with Christ in the heavenlies. This is why we know we can pray to God, we can pray to the Creator as our Father, we can call Him Abba. Why? Because Christ qualifies us and we're seated with Him in the heavenlies. That's how high His love goes. We don't just get His phone number and we can give Him a text every once in a while. We get his very presence. We're able to go right into the very presence of the Father, something that the Son has only enjoyed before this. His love is deep enough. It's deep enough to meet you in your most faithless, darkest, most despairing time. God's love is deep enough to meet you there. I told the story. I, I gave this message um, when I was out go, at O'Call, and I told the story. I wasn't planning to, but I think it fits well. So about three years before my father passed away, Sarah and I were watching some movie. I can't remember what the movie was, but it showed a parent passing away, and I was just overwhelmed by the thought of my father dying and not knowing the Lord. It just hit me, just in a really powerful way, and I... You know, those of you who know me know how easy I cry. I cry really easy, so crying is not a big deal. But this was beyond just John crying a little bit. I was sobbing. I got up and went into the bathroom and closed the door, and I was sobbing, thinking, I don't know if my faith will survive my father dying without knowing the Lord. I don't know if I can handle the idea that someone who I love and respect would spend eternity without him, and I tried so many times to share with him. Bought him so many Bibles, listened to him, talked talked with him about things over and over again, prayed for him so many times, and I thought, I don't know if I'll be able to handle this. Well, three years later, he passed away. And what was amazing was, is that when when he was really poorly, and my brothers were saying, you need to come, dad's Dad's at the end, I really wanted to get there, and uh, I... um, uh, booked the flights, and I went to London. I was going to leave really early in the next morning. And that early the next morning, Adam called me and said, hey, John, I'm sorry to say, your dad's already passed away. And so I got there, and I was, of course, really hurt and devastated by this. And when I got there, my brother said, um, they said, you know, uh, the hospice nurses that Dad had, they all went to Calvary Chapel, Fresno. And so he spent the last three or four hours talking about God. He talked about you, They talked about God, They talked about faith. Now, I don't know if my dad received the Lord, but I know that God met me in that darkest place. God, can I still trust you if you don't save my dad? I knew he had a choice to make, I wasn't ignorant of that. But I, I don't know, Lord, can I trust you if you don't answer this prayer? And here's the thing, I don't know that my dad received the Lord, but you know what I know? The Lord made sure he had a witness at the very end. He answered that prayer. He met me in that deepest part of despair to where I had a peace, even though my dad died and might have gone into a crisis eternity, I had a peace that God is good and surely the judge of all the earth will do right. That's how deep his love is. You see, God doesn't want us just to have this understanding. You know know the difference between real faith, a living hope in the living God and dead religion. Do you know the difference? Dead religion is when we have faith in an idea. That's dead religion. We have faith in an idea. The idea gives us comfort. The, the idea makes us feel like we belong to a community. The idea gives us some direction in our life. That's dead religion. No matter how lively it's expressed. But if the faith is just an idea it's a dead religion you know what a living faith is it's believing in the living god it's trusting this person who's made all things who himself clothed himself in human flesh and walked this earth lived perfectly died to pay for my sin and for yours and rose from the dead three days later it's him not it It's him we trust. And he wants us to experience his love. He wants us to pray for that. Lord, would you, in your power, overcome my doubt, overcome my weakness, overcome my resistance to your Holy Spirit? Would you overcome me and break my hard heart that I would know how great your love is for me? Would you do that, Lord, please? See, when we talk about praying for God's power, we're almost always thinking about, I I want to have this, I want to see this gift of the Spirit used. I want to pray for power so I can speak in tongues or so I can prophesy or so I can see someone healed. All those things are valid things to pray for. But actually, you know what Paul's saying we need to pray for? We need to pray, God, would you change me? I need to be changed and only you can do it. God, would you show me, would you help me to experience your love because I'm so often hard-hearted that I'm just barely believing an idea. Now we need to pray for God's power to do this. In fact, he says in verse 19, doesn't he? To know the, God, the love of Christ, which, which passes knowledge. How do you know something that, that passes knowledge? God has to reveal it to you. Notice he says that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You could translate that this way, that you may be satisfied with all the satisfaction of God. Now, I'll confess to you, just totally transparent here, as I stand here today, I am not satisfied in my relationship with God. I am not. But you know what I am convinced of? That in Him and Him alone, am I going to find the satisfaction that I I long for. And that one day, soon and very soon, I'm going to be satisfied fully in a way that only God Himself knows satisfaction. I know that because Job says, right, I will be satisfied when I awake in His likeness. I I know that the fullness of God, what God has always experienced, is going to be mine. And until that day, I want to long for it. I want to pursue it. I want to know Him that way. I want to know His love that way. It's a love beyond comprehension, but it's not a love beyond experience. Stop settling for less than what Christ died for you for. He died so you could know the love of God, not just in some flowery, saccharine, sweet kind of way, a real life-changing experience, the very power of God Himself that changes you from the inside out and opens your eyes and your mind and your experience to how what love really is and how it can change everything, how it will change everything. Lastly, Paul says, and and closes his prayer this way in verses 20 and 21. He says, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. I'm calling this the power to celebrate his work. Because I love this. I love, here's Paul modeling to us what it looks like to pray for the power to experience the power of God right he's modeling this for us and then he says but you know what it's not about our prayers (laughs) i love this that that here's the here's the reality his work is not limited to our prayers now i do think that the experience of, of of god's power the experience of god's love in our life can be limited by our prayers in the sense that we are blind and deaf to what god wants to do because we refuse to obey him I believe that's true, but here's the good news. It's not limited to our prayers. You know the the verse in James, draw near to God, he will draw near to you. You Ever thought about that? Think about that as a step. God says, draw near to me. Took about a meter toward God. He says, now I'll draw near to you. How big is God's step? This is why in the book of Deuteronomy, you know, God says to his people, um, the Lord's near to you, even at your mouth in other words if you would just say god help god's like i'm there <laughs> i'm there gosh we 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 just so wander in this wilderness of doubt beating ourselves because we don't trust that god loves us as much as we do as we should instead of just saying god your power has to do it you have to change my heart you have to show me your love and even my prayers are not good enough, but Lord, you're not limited by my prayers. You can go beyond them. Do we believe this? In fact, look what he says. I love this. This is such a hopeful verse in the the second part of verse 20. He says, now unto him who is able to do uh, above what we ask or think, notice, according to the power that works, present tense, works in us. In other words, you could say, according to the power that's already working in us. You're sitting here in church today. Now, some of you guys I know well, pretty well, and I know that you have growing walks with God. Some of you guys I don't hardly know at all. I'm, I met a couple of people today. I'm like, this is your first time? And they're all, uh, no, we've been here lots of times before. I hate when that happens. <laughs> I don't know you very well, but I'll, I'll tell you what. God knows you <laughs> better than you could ever know yourself, and you are here because God wanted you here. You are here because God is working in you. I'm not saying you're already a Christian. I, I can't judge that. That's between you and the Lord. But I am saying this, God's working in you because you wouldn't be here unless God was working. And for you who have already received Christ, don't you know you received Christ because God worked in you to bring you to see your need for Christ and to bring you to put your faith in Christ? Don't you know if you trusted Him in simple faith, to receive Christ in the first place, you can trust Him in simple faith to do this work in a way that's more powerful than you can imagine. That's why Paul says, to Him be the glory, verse 21, in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. In other words, because it's His work, it's His glory. Why did God decide to make it harder for us than we can do for ourselves? Why can't he just been like Bill and Ted's excellent adventure? Be excellent to each other. Why can't he just done that? That would have been easy? Yeah. We' we'll just be nice. Let's be really nice people. That'll work? No, God says, I want you to be brand new people. I want you to love people to the point that if they say we want to kill you because you keep talking about love, say please do, because I really want you to know how real this love is. Why would He call us to such a standard? so that he could do the work and he would get the glory. So people would see him and not us. That's why. Listen to this, I'll close with these verses while the music team comes back in and the brothers or sisters get ready to hand out the uh, elements of communion. Don't pass them out yet, just get them ready to be passed out, guys, okay? So if you wanna grab the elements and get ready and the music team come forward, I wanna close with this verse. In the book of Revelation, in chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, I'm reading now from the NIV, it says this The 24 elders fell down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy. Our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. Guys, listen. The all-powerful God who made you is the all-loving God who saves you. The all-loving God who saves you is the ever active God who's working in you. Let's stop resisting this. Stop resisting the work that God wants to do in your heart. I think there's many of us here this morning that need to submit afresh to the work of God's power in our life, that we we need to just confess that we have been limiting what God wants to do because we don't believe that God is as powerful as he says he is that we really have to confess our faithlessness and our doubt, that God really does want us to know his love, experience his love, that God really can change our hearts. He can change us from the inside out. I think God wants us to have a time to repent, turn back to him, maybe to receive prayer or to pray for each other. In fact, can I ask uh, you guys who are on team, House group leaders and you guys that are, can you guys come up? Maybe half, you know, men and women on this side and men and women on this side. Can you guys come up behind the speakers? You guys who are on team, house group leaders. Hello, you should know who you are if you're invited to the house group. Come on. Craig, come forward. Come on, you guys know who you are. Paul, yes, that's you. So shy. Come on. Show, set an example. You believe the power of God? He can use even you. <laughs> I think Stevens in Sunday school where ads. Is that with the kids? Yeah? That's fine. It's fine. Neil's here. All right. Maybe a couple over here as well. Just go ahead and stand behind the speaker in case somebody wants to come up for prayer. What we're gonna do is we're gonna we're not gonna sing the communion song. We'll sing the other song first, whatever, whatever you want to do. Response song. We're gonna sing a response song. What we mean by this is a song where we sing this, this, these lyrics back to God. We sing these songs to God responding to what God's Spirit has spoke to us through His Word, okay? And if you're in a place where you're going, man, I I need someone else to pray for me to break through my doubts and my unbelief, then come forward. I'll I'll stand over here, just come forward and pray. Just ask someone to pray. You don't have to say all your junk. If you don't want to, you can just say, just pray for me, we'll pray. If you're here today and you don't know this God that we're talking about, if you don't know the creator of the universe as he's revealed himself through Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with God, if you don't know what that is, I think God's brought you here today so that you you can know him. If you have questions, you can come up. We can ask you about that. So we're going to just take a song's worth of time to pray. You don't have to get up and ask for prayer if you want. You can just pray in your seats, but let's Let's do business with God. Let's be honest about what Paul's prayer for the Ephesians exposes about us. And let's believe that God can do what he wants to do, all right?